0: happy Saturday. Since this Saturday classic is coming out during Hanukkah, we thought we would re-release our December 21st, 2016 episode on the Maccabean Revolt, which is the historical event associated with the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah.
1: While Hanukkah isn't one of the primary Jewish holidays from a religious perspective, it has become culturally important in a lot of Jewish communities and families around the world. So if you are observing Hanukkah this week, happy Hanukkah from us to you. Our thoughts are especially with you if you are having to do so at a distance from the people that you love and miss. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio.
0: I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. So we've had a lot of requests over the years to talk about the Maccabean Revolt. We've also had a lot of good intentions over the last <laughs> few years to talk about it. It's the historical event that's connected to the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah. And two things have thwarted our plans to talk about this repeatedly. And the first is that since Hanukkah falls... Uh, on the Jewish calendar, which doesn't sync up with the Gregorian calendar, uh, I kept being surprised by the fact that Hanukkah was imminent every year.
1: Or or had started. That's always mine. I'm right. like, oh, it's
0: Hanukkah already. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know. Um, and also, because this historical event is in a, a piece of ancient history that doesn't get as much coverage in a lot of classrooms when i would be surprised by the imminent arrival of hanukkah i would also realize i just did not have enough foundational knowledge to be able to put an episode together in that period of time because it's this is after alexander the great and before rome so it's in the it's in the hellenistic period so that is just one of the places that i have not had a whole whole bunch of history education um My ancient history education kind of went Mesopotamia, ancient Egypt, classical Greece, Rome, and skipped the Hellenistic period almost entirely. Uh, This year, however, I had my act together ahead of time. Yay, Tracy! (laughs) So we finally have our episode on the Maccabean Revolt. Uh, I will say that every Hanukkah observance I have ever been to is just full of warmth and love and comfort and light. And it's, it all feels very beautiful and friendly. And this history is not really that. So if you're coming into this episode expecting like a story of, of warmth and love and triumph, this is not really going to be that. And then also, having heard multiple experts pronounce a lot of the names in this episode completely differently from one another, I'm just going to have a blanket apology in advance. Uh, I'm sorry if we land on the one that's either not how you say it or is just not right. <laughs> I really did have just contradictory responses and how to, to say a lot of these words
1: and names. Alexander III of Macedon, also known as Alexander the Great, famously built a massive empire through a series of conquests, including conquering the Persian Empire in the 4th century BCE. And at its height, this empire included a huge swath of territory around the Mediterranean and Aegean seas. And then it stretched west across what's now Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Greek culture also spread through and influenced Alexander's territory to varying degrees. Even before Alexander's death
0: in early June of 323 BCE, this massive empire was starting to fracture. And after he died, his generals divided it up among themselves. The two most relevant to what we're talking about today both controlled territory along the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. These were the Seleucid Empire, named for Seleucus Nicator to the north, and the Ptolemaic Kingdom, named for
1: Ptolemy I Soter to the south. At first, the Seleucid Empire controlled what is now Israel, Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan. And from there, this territory stretched east to Central Asia. And the Ptolemaic Kingdom primarily controlled what's now Northern Egypt, including the city of Alexandria. Even though the Ptolemaic Kingdom was initially much smaller, it was also one of the most prosperous and influential of all of the Hellenistic kingdoms, with Alexandria becoming one of the most important cities. Perhaps unsurprisingly, these two neighbors spent
0: a lot of time at war with each other over territory, including who would control Syria and the Levant in the eastern Mediterranean. This ongoing struggle played out uh, in spite of a number of diplomatic and family connections that existed between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids and the fact that both Ptolemy and Seleucus themselves had teamed up together against rival uh, Antigonus I
1: just after Alexander's death. During many of these wars, Judea, which is the area between the Mediterranean Sea on one side and the Dead Sea on the other, was caught in the crossfire, and it was passed back and forth between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids as the territory changed hands. The city of Jerusalem,
0: which is important to multiple religions, including Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, uh, is also located in Judea, although at the time we're discussing today, Christianity and Islam both had not yet been founded. Jerusalem had been home to Solomon's Temple, also known as the First Temple, which was destroyed in 587 BCE. And at the time that this story takes place, it was home to the Second Temple, built in roughly 520 BCE. These temples are of enormous religious, spiritual, and social importance in
1: Judaism. During the Fifth Syrian War, which spanned from 202 to 195 BCE, the Seleucids soundly defeated the Ptolemies at the Battle of Panius or Banius, also known as the Battle of Panium. And the details of the battle itself are mostly lost to time. But we do know that following this defeat, the Ptolemies lost most of their territory in the Levant, including Judea.
0: At first, the region's Jewish population continued to live mostly as they had been. Many of the Ptolemaic leaders who had controlled Judea had been relatively tolerant of religious diversity. There was definitely a social hierarchy at play, with the Greeks having higher social and economic status than everyone else. But for the most part, throughout the Ptolemaic kingdom, people were allowed religious freedom and expression.
1: For example, under Ptolemaic rule, native Egyptian religious traditions continued to be upheld, and newly built Greek temples and other religious sites often drew inspiration from Egyptian deities. The city of Alexandria in the Ptolemaic kingdom also had a sizable Jewish population, and it was in Alexandria that the Torah was translated into Greek for the first time. The degree
0: to which Jews in Alexandria and elsewhere in Ptolemaic territory spoke Greek and adopted Greek customs really, really varied from community to community and person to person. There were, of course, a lot of different schools of thought about how much assimilation with Greek culture was acceptable Some Jewish religious religious leaders advocated for a total rejection of all things Greek, while others uh, thought that some degree of assimilation was fine as long as certain Jewish laws and customs were still upheld. Later on, Jewish religious texts written during this period would be viewed with some suspicion because of this
1: Greek influence. So that was before the Fifth Syrian War and the Battle of Panyas. After Judea became part of the Seleucid Empire, at first, things stayed more or less the same. Seleucid rule continued to allow free observance of the Jewish religion. Antiochus III, also known as Antiochus the Great, then ruler of the Seleucid Empire, helped rebuild parts of Jerusalem that had been damaged or destroyed in the war. He suspended taxes in Jerusalem for three years and banned the import of animals that were unfit for consumption under Jewish law into Jerusalem. He also allowed the Jewish population of Jerusalem to govern itself according to Jewish law. However,
0: all that changed radically after the death of Antiochus III. He was succeeded by his son, Seleucus the fourth, who was then assassinated by one of his ministers who tried to take the throne for himself. Antiochus Fourth Epiphanes, another of Antiochus III's sons, managed to take control of the Seleucid Empire in 175 BCE. And his ideas on religious freedom were completely different than Antiochus III's had been, completely different than the Ptolemies had been. Basically, it was a huge shift from what had been going on in Judea over the hundreds of years and many, not hundreds, but over the, the, the many decades and wars that had seen it passed back and forth between different uh, ruling empires over time. Uh, we are going to talk about exactly how after a quick word from a sponsor.
1: Antiochus IV wanted to restore the Seleucid Empire to its former grandeur. And to that end, he started actively promoting and even requiring explicitly Greek customs, language, and ideals. All the people in his empire should be one people, and their culture should be Greek. Monotheistic religions, including Judaism, were expected to abandon their own customs and practices, and instead begin worshiping the Greek pantheon of gods. The high priest
0: at the Jewish temple had been resisting Greek influence, so Antiochus replaced him with his brother, that's the priest brother, not uh, Antiochus's brother, with his brother Jason. Jason had Hellenized his own name from Hebrew, and he built a Greek-style gymnasium adjacent to the temple A gymnasium in Greece was a gathering place and a training facility for athletes, and it was also an emblem of Greek culture, and men who used the gymnasium did so naked. This was a problem because nudity, especially public nudity, was against Jewish law. So building this gymnasium near the temple was not only a reminder of Greek supremacy, but also something that was abhorrent in the eyes of many of the people who were going to the temple for both
1: social and religious reasons. Jason was later replaced by Menelaus, also a Hellenizer, who continued to promote Greek ideas and customs among the Jewish population. In 168 BCE, Antiochus was away fighting the Sixth Syrian War in Egypt, and rumors started to spread that he had been killed. This prompted some of Jerusalem's more traditional Jewish population to rebel against Menelaus, who fled the city. When Antiochus returned to Jerusalem and learned what had happened, he was outraged and ordered his army to attack the Jewish population. Thousands were killed or enslaved. Antiochus then
0: issued a decree outlawing Judaism. He specifically forbade Jewish religious observances and customs. He outlawed Jewish modes of worship and observances of the Sabbath and Jewish festivals. And he also outlawed the practice of circumcision. The decree also required Jews to sacrifice pigs to Greek idols, and the second temple was rededicated to the Greek god Zeus. Failure to obey all of this was punishable by death, and many Jews, possibly thousands of them, were martyred as a result.
1: Although this decree stood in direct opposition to Jewish law, a portion of the Jewish community did follow it. Many, but not all, certainly did so under extreme duress. But people who had not considered Hellenization to be bad or threatening often followed the law willingly. This meant that soon, the most traditionalist parts of the Jewish population were at odds both with the Seleucids and with Hellenistic Jews who willingly followed the law. Antiochus's
0: decree was not just directed at the city of Jerusalem. It also applied to all of Seleucid territory, and he sent armed officers from town to town to enforce it. This included, this included demanding that priests publicly make sacrifices to Greek idols or consume pork under penalty of death if they refused.
1: During this time, a Jewish priestly family led by patriarch Yahu, or Matthias or Matthias, depending on how you pronounce it, was living in Moda'in, west of Jerusalem. When Antiochus' men came to Moda'in to demand sacrifices to Greek gods, Matthias refused. As recorded in 1 Maccabees, he said, Even if all the nations that live under the rule of the king obey him and have chosen to do his commandments, departing each one from the religion of his fathers, yet I and my sons and my brothers will live by the covenant of our fathers, we will not obey the king's word by turning aside from our religion to the right hand or to the left.
0: Then, when, he- when a Hellenistic Jew approached this Greek altar to make a sacrifice as ordered, Matthias grabbed an officer- officer's sword and killed him before then killing the officer. And then he rallied the people who had witnessed this to join him in a rebellion against the Seleucid Empire.
1: Although some of the traditionalist Jews in the Seleucid Empire had already been resisting Antiochus's decree nonviolently, Matthias and his five sons started a campaign of guerrilla warfare. They recruited others and based their operations in hills and caves, eating plants they could scavenge to avoid the need to eat food that wasn't kosher. This revolt was the first war for religious freedom in the West, and possibly in the world. Matthias was already quite old
0: when this resistance started, and he passed away not long after. His third son, Judah Maccabee, or Judah the Hammer, became the leader of this resistance and estimates really vary about the size of the fighting force that he recruited. It was somewhere between 6,000 to 12,000 people, but that still really paled in comparison to the Seleucid force of 40,000. Even so, thanks to their superior knowledge of the hills and caves around Judea and the fact that the Seleucids originally underestimated what they were up against,
1: they were able to successfully resist and ultimately defeat the Greek force. It wasn't only the Greek force that the Maccabee army was fighting, though. They were also fighting back against the people they saw as godless, or Jews who were willing to follow Greek law. Today, there's actually some debate among scholars about how much of this resistance was really about the Greeks and how much was about the Hellenistic Jews.
0: When Antiochus IV died, he was succeeded by his son, Antiochus V, who ruled from 164 to 162 BCE. And Antiochus V repealed his father's decree, saying that he wanted the subjects of the kingdom to be undisturbed in looking after their own affairs. He left the Jewish community free to, quote, follow the customs of their ancestors.
1: Following Antiochus V's decree, the Jewish community in Jerusalem began cleaning the temple and removing the Greek idols that had been placed there. In mid-December of 164 BCE, or 25th of Kislev in the Jewish calendar, it was ready to be rededicated. And this rededication was an eight-day observance that included songs, prayers, and burnt offerings. The word Hanukkah means dedication, and the holiday is in celebration of this cleansing and rededication of the temple. The
0: Hanukkah story that most people are the most familiar with is that consecrated oil was needed to relight the temple's menorah, but there was only one day's worth of oil, and it would take a week to consecrate more of it. However, in this story, a miracle occurred, and that one day's worth of oil burned for eight, keeping the menorah lit when more, uh, keeping the menorah lit until more consecrated oil was ready
1: for it. This story was first written down hundreds of years after the temple's dedication, so many people view it as symbolic rather than as a historical fact. And instead of being about burning oil, the miracle of Hanukkah becomes a twofold miracle, combining the spiritual victory of Jewish values over Greek values and the military victory of the Jewish force over the Seleucid army that vastly outnumbered them and had far superior training, equipment, and supplies.
0: Uh, And if the story ended here, it would be kind of the, like, peaceful, happy, warm, delicious fried food... (laughs) (laughs) time that I have experienced with Hanukkah. But Antiochus's decree and the rededication of the temple and the restoration of religious freedoms did not put an end to the Maccabean revolt. And we will talk about how and why it continued after a sponsor break.
1: After the restoration of Jewish religious freedom and the rededication of the temple, The Maccabees went on to start another revolt, this time with the ultimate goal of obtaining total independence from the Seleucids. Judah Maccabee won a major
0: victory against the fighting force led by Seleucid General Nicanor in 161 BCE, and much of the Seleucid army was destroyed in this battle. This decisive victory caught the attention of Rome. The Maccabees went on to sign a treaty with Rome that same year. Rome had become a threat to both the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. So doing this was a little bit of, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing.
1: After Judah Maccabee died in battle, his brother Jonathan, or Jonathan took over and established himself as the leader in Judea, which soon became an autonomous part of the Seleucid Empire through a treaty with Seleucid King Alexander Ballas. Following the treaty, Jonathan established himself as ruler in 153 BCE, and at the same time, Jonathan was also a high priest.
0: This was a massive upward move in status for the Maccabees, who also came to be known as the Hasmonean family. They had been village priests, and now they were both the ruling family of an autonomous Jewish state and also the high priestly family of the Jewish temple, However, simultaneously being the secular leader and the high priest was contrary to Jewish law and to the hereditary lines of secular and religious succession within Judaism. So Jonathan's leadership over religious matters became especially problematic because he had been leading battles during the revolt. All of this created big, big divisions within the Jewish population uh, because there were people who supported the Maccabean leadership over both civil and religious matters. And then other people who thought this combination of roles and disregarding the way that, that civil and religious leadership had been passed down through generations felt like that violated the law and was wrong.
1: When Jonathan was killed, his brother Shimon, or Simon, took over. And under Simon's rule, the Maccabees overthrew Acre, which was the Greek stronghold in Jerusalem in 142 BCE. Afterwards, Simon declared total independence from the Seleucids, establishing an independent Jewish kingdom that came to be known as the Hasmonean Kingdom. This was a dynastic kingdom with leadership passing down from father to son, although it was later on in this dynasty before anyone actually took the title of king.
0: When Simon died, his successor was Yohanan Hyrcanus, or John the I, who through a series of military conquests made the Hasmonean dynasty about as powerful as the Seleucids. He also forcibly converted people to Judaism in this conquered territory.
1: John Hyrcanus' successor was his son, Alexander Yanai, who also conquered new territory and added it to the Hasmonean kingdom. And in addition to fighting with his Seleucid neighbors, he also took sides in a conflict among the various factions that had arisen in response to Hasmonean rule. At one point, reportedly executing 800 Pharisees who opposed him.
0: The Hasmonean dynasty was in power for about 80 years, until 63 BCE. It started to decline after the death of Queen Salome Alexandra in 67 BCE, and infighting between her sons weakened the kingdom. Roman General Pompey took advantage of these two sons' rivalry with each other to lay siege to Jerusalem, which ended in a massacre. And that
1: was really the end of the dynasty. As we mentioned earlier in the show, the first Hanukkah celebrations were in recognition of the cleansing and rededication of the Second Temple in Jerusalem. But as the Hasmonean dynasty evolved, the celebration of Hanukkah served another purpose as well. Because the Hasmonean dynasty's dual role as both priests and secular rulers was not met with universal approval, they established a holiday that would reframe the revolt as a noble struggle and ultimately victorious struggle against Greek oppression.
0: After the end of the Hasmonean dynasty, there was a move away from celebrating Hanukkah as a major Jewish holiday, uh, both due to its origins through the Hasmonean dynasty— the fact that that dynasty was problematic for a lot of people in terms of Jewish law, and the fact that it isn't mentioned anywhere in the Torah. Today, though, Hanukkah has become a really culturally important holiday for a lot of Jewish people, particularly in the Jewish diaspora. A lot of the traditions that are most associated with Hanukkah today, like eating latke and other fried food that has been fried in oil, come from these family and community celebrations that started long after the end of the Hasmian dynasty, and they've mostly been about you know, a, a community, a minority community that has often been living in a place where it's, where it's been oppressed and discriminated against. So, Hanukkah celebrations around the world have come to reflect the the communities and the traditions and the cultures where they take place uh, much more so than the the story that originally launched the holiday. Which, uh, as I was researching this, um, I would find, uh, I would find. Things about the history of Hanukkah that would basically stop at the rededication of the temple and not really talk about what went on with the Hasmonean dynasty after that. Uh, And then I would find others by modern Jewish scholars and, you know, rabbis living today who were like, this was (laughs) anti-Jewish. Like, this was not... This, this later part of this history is not what we as Jews believe today about religious freedoms and about Jewish law. So uh, it was really interesting as an outsider's perspective to see uh, how, like, multiple perspectives uh, within one faith about how uh, how this is talked about and discussed. Because, like, there there is are definitely people who were like, and this was an independent Jewish state, and that was great. And people... Uh, who are more like this was an independent Jewish state, but they were making a lot of decisions that I don't deg- that I don't agree with. <laughs> so uh, there is definitely diversity within basically all religions, including Judaism, as far as um, you know, interpreting events from their past and and interpreting events that are now holidays with celebrations that are in some ways disconnected from uh, what actually happened to spawn that holiday.